that I forgot to mention, make sure you're here a little early on Sunday because we're opening back up the New Life Cafe. Uh, we're going to have some coffee here, some pastries, so uh, don't run in at 10.05 because service starts at 10 o'clock. Try to get here at 9.30, have some coffee, some pastries, and fellowship there in the foyer, all right? Amen. I know JoJo's ready to start brewing that coffee. Uh, Joe is a faithful steward when it comes to that. So we're going to go on ahead, and actually today we are concluding this sermon series that is titled Parables. Uh, we began this already, I believe, just five, five weeks ago, six weeks ago, something of that sort. And I hope that you've been blessed through this series. You know, Jesus, I, I, I love, ever since I was younger, I was always, I always loved the parables. I loved the parables of Jesus Christ, and I love to read them. I like to, 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 to study them, and we've been kind of covering a whole bunch of them in these last few weeks. And today, we're going to go on ahead and we're going to conclude with the final parable here today before we get into our Easter message next week. The greatest novelist, or the, not the greatest, but the great novelist, Charles Dickens, uh, he was asked, and we all know, a lot of us know Charles Dickens and some of the stuff that he's, he's, he's written, uh, The Christmas Carol, uh, and so on. Uh, I believe he also wrote Moby Dick, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he was told once, what do you think? This is a guy that was familiar with writings and reading. Uh, he was asked, what's the best story ever written in the English language? Dickens went on ahead and he replied, the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son is one of the most well-known and best-loved parables that Jesus gave. But the prodigal son is not really just about the prodigal son. You see, we think about it, and we, and we say, well, that's the, main, that's the main guy right there because, well, it's only titled the prodigal son, right? But it's not just about him. And it's also not just about the elder brother that we hear about towards the end of the parable. We pay most attention to the prodigal son, but that's because his character is the one that we can most relate to. And it's all, but, but the story is primarily about the father's love for both of his sons. Let me help you set the stage really quick. Before we get into this parable here, Jesus is out and he's having, he's having lunch, dinner, whatever you want to call it. But he's not sitting at a table with the religious leaders. He's not sitting... At the, at the table with the elders, uh, sitting at the, at the table with the pastors, the preachers. and No, he is sitting at a table with tax collectors and sinners. And he's, having, he's breaking bread with them. He's breaking bread with them. But the Pharisees are having a little bit of an issue with him. The, the Pharisees we know were known people that, you know, they were kind of high and mighty. You know, they, they were like, this is the law. We follow the law best and everyone else that are sinners, you guys are... Man, we don't got no room or no time for you. They go on ahead and actually, and they, 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 they kind of say something. Let me, let, me, let me take you here. This is the very beginning where we start to get these parables. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, this is what it says. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of law, they muttered, the man, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They mutter to each other, hey, can you, can you believe it? This guy who says he knows God, 
this guy who, who says he's holy, this guy who, who is saying all of these things, teaching about the kingdom of God. Can you believe that he's sitting with sinners? And so Jesus replied the way he loved to reply. He ends up replying with three stories. He replies to them with, it wasn't just a quick, this is why I'm doing it. He replies to them with three different parables to answer their questions. He talks about the, the story of the lost sheep. Then he gives the parable of the lost coin, and then he concludes with the parable of the lost son. These three parables, they make one point. They made a lot of points, but one of the main points that Jesus was trying to make by giving these Pharisees and these religious leaders these three stories was this, and that is that lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. This third parable here, man, as I was looking at it, dissecting it, you can preach a whole month-long sermon series on just this parable alone. I was praying, God, which way do I go with this? What, you know, who do I focus on? I can do so much of it. But this third parable, this parable of the prodigal son is three-dimensional. There's a lesson in the loving father. There's a lesson in the prodigal son. And there's also a lesson in the elder son. You see, the father in this parable is a picture of the love of God. Now, the prodigal in this story is a picture of the life of sin. And so seeing that we're getting into Easter season, I want to kind of focus in that area. I'm going to focus on, uh, on the area of sin and how it relates to this story. And one of the first things that I want, to, I want us to see and these lessons that I want us to learn from this, this story of the prodigal son is the desire that motivates a life of sin. Let's find out what that desire is. You got your Bibles with me? Open them up to the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 11. We're going to go all the way through verse 30. This is where you'll find the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have them up, uh, the Bible verses up on the screens. If you're watching us online, we'll have them up there as well. But this is now the third story, and it says in verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. You see, this request, we'll stop right there. This request by the younger son, you know what it is? This request by the younger son is a declaration of independence from his father. And I want you to know that this is where all sin starts. It don't matter what sin you find yourself struggling with today. And the reality is that we all struggle with sin. Sin is a matter of the heart. There's a streak of rebellion within each and every single one of us that in reality, it strives for independence from God's control over our lives and God's credit over our lives. And this is the battle of every Christ follower here on earth. The reality is that we can be rebels. We can rebel many times against God by default. Now, what is the main underlying cause for what we like to sometimes call backsliding Christians? 
Christians who maybe had a relationship with God, were involved with ministry or whatever the case is, and now have kind of backslidden away from him. What is the underlying issue from that? What is the underlying issue for why some people have an issue acknowledging Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? You want to know what I believe that underlying issue is and what we see here from the story? That's control. A lot of us don't want to hand the keys to God for our life. We, wanna, we want God in the car. We want Jesus as a man. Maybe we'll even bump him from the back seat to the passenger side. We just don't want him driving. Let's read verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And let me tell you, if you don't know about this Jewish custom or the times of back then, this is, very, this is a very bad request. This is, this is very, very bad. No son in the ancient world would have dared to bring up the subject of his inheritance with his father. The reason for that was because the father's blessing, they called it back then, not necessarily an inheritance, but the blessing of the father was only given at the father's initiative nearing his death. So in that time, when the father knew, like, hey, I'm in my deathbed, he would call his children, his call his sons, and he would start to give the blessing. This belongs to you. This belongs to you. Here is your inheritance. But this kid, this, this, this son, this prodigal son, had the audacity to come to his father and demand his share of his father's estate in advance. Basically, what the son was saying was, Dad... Uh, can we pretend that you're dead? Think about that. You, you, you have to place yourself in this setting. Can we pretend that you're, you are dead? Like, you know, you're dead to me and I'm dead to you. And as a matter of fact, I just really don't care about this relationship with you. But whatever you're going to bless me with financially, Dad, can you go ahead and give that to me? And then we'll just part ways. rough. Reality, if you really look at it, this was a slap in the face to the father. But amazingly, this father doesn't say, are you kidding me? I'm not dead. You, you're going to wait. That's what a lot of us would say. And you're wishing I'm dead. As a matter of fact, get out of here and you ain't getting nothing. But this father amazingly gave his son what he asked for. Verse 13 says this. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. When this son received his inheritance, catch this. He didn't just move out of his father's house. This son moved out of, moved out of his father's country. Bible says he moved to a far country. This Jewish young man, what that kind of means is he relocated to a pagan country. He went somewhere where, listen, you know, he wasn't going to be under his father's rules. He went somewhere where they, 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 they weren't, so they didn't care about following the laws. They didn't care about religion. He went somewhere where it was like, man, we're going to Vegas. I'm not saying if you're from Vegas or whatever it is, but you know, you get what I'm trying to say. The Sin City, right? 
He says, I'm going out there. It was a complete rebellion against the father, what the father believed in. Father had his beliefs, had his customs, had his ways, but I want to do opposite. He no longer had to submit to his father's authority. And sometimes some of, the, some of the reasons why kids tell us today, you know, when we got teenagers and they're upset at us, and they're like, man, I can't wait till I'm 18 so I can leave. You know, some of us threatened us with that. Some of them threatened us with that for so long, and now they're 22 and they still haven't left. But this is a reality here. Why do kids want to do that? Why? Well, they don't want to be under their father's authority any longer, right? Sometimes when you get that from your kids, it's because you told them no. And then it's like, well, when I'm gone, I can do whatever I want. Okay, when you're gone. He no longer had to receive his father's permission. He no longer had to abide by his father's curfew. He, he was now his own man. He wasn't his father's son. And church, what I want you to understand is that this is the story of every prodigal who has separated from God. We want control. We want to control our own lives, independent of God's authority, because we know we can't do certain things if we're trying to be under God's authority. If you remember when we preached, I, I, I focused on uh, the beginning of Genesis. Do you remember when the serpent went on ahead and explained to Eve why she should eat instead of listening to what God had commanded? God commanded, don't eat, but Satan explained to Eve why she should. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says this. I'll just give you a little reminder of how that conversation went. For God knows that when you eat from it, this was the serpent, this was Satan, the deceiver, the liar, speaking to Eve after Eve had already heard from the living God. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for what? Gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. See, the first sin, many of us call it the original sin, was the result of human ambition that sought to be like God. So it is with every other sin, church. The truth is that our prodigal hearts don't, it doesn't really want a relationship with God. Not the God of the Bible, at least. You see, we want to be our own gods, and we want to use the true God to help us to be able to better serve ourselves. Like the prodigal son, though, we don't want the father to be in control. But we want God to give us what we want. You see that battle that we have in the heart? I don't want you to be in control, but man, can you please bless me with this? I don't want you to be in control in this area, but can you please bless me in the area of my finances? I don't want you to be in control of relationships, but can you please bring that one for me? If he really was his own man, he would have just left and not asked for any money. But the reality is that this son asked for money. And because he asked for money, that was evidence that he could not make it up on his own. But he was determined to start his own life independent of his father. And so it is with every other sinner. You see, spiritual independence desires credits for one's own life. The son didn't want to live under his father's authority, but that wasn't his only motivation. He asked his father for for. for 
pretty much he asked his father to finance his independence. But this request would not fulfill his motivation. He was living in the same city as his daddy, and he didn't want that. Because listen to this, if he would have took his inheritance and stood living there in the presence of his father, as he would have wore his fancy clothes, as he would have driven his fancy car and enjoyed that plush condominium, nobody in his hometown would have been impressed. Why? Because everybody would have known that the reason why he had it going on was because he was spending his daddy's money. So he took a trip to a far country where nobody knew him. And this hot shot moved into this big city. He can play the role of a self-made man. This is the desire that motivates a life of sin, church. Sinful desire control over our lives so that we can take credit for our own lives. We want credit for our own lives. And you, you know what? Apostle Paul, he explains why the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of man. He says the reason is because although they knew God, they refused to honor God as God or give thanks to God. You see, the prodigal heart, it doesn't honor God because the prodigal heart wants to be honored as God. Our unrighteousness is not revealed in the far country, but unrighteousness is revealed when we refuse to give God the credit that he deserves for what he's obviously already done for us. Many times we can be stingy with praise because we want to take credit for our own lives. You know, sometimes when that little kid, that little child, your child, or someone comes to you and they show you a little piece of candy that someone gave them or a dollar bill or whatever it is, you know, sometimes parents will say, hey, where did you get that from? And when the parent goes on ahead and answers, oh, I got it from such and such or whatever, they say, okay, well, what did you say? That's to ensure that the child said thank you, right? See, but the prodigal heart has a problem answering those simple questions. Okay, you got a nice car or you got a nice house in the gated community. Where did you get that from? You have a degree in a successful career. That's cool, but where did you get that from? You got a blessed family. Your marriage is doing okay. Your kids are behaving all right. That's good, but where did you get that from? You see, if you know where you got that from, well, then what did you say? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, so rather you eat or drink or rather you do, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. This is what we got to be careful with. Sometimes our heart wants to take credit for everything that is going on in life. And you forget those prayers that you prayed maybe several years ago to get what, you, what God has finally given you. But all, all of a sudden, I have done this. So first we saw the desire that leads to sin. Now I want to talk to you quickly about the dilemma that confronts the life of sin. See, the prodigal son abandoned his family. He left his father's house and he headed for a far country, the Bible says, You see, the prodigal's experience in the far country gives us two things about the life of sin that I want you to focus on. And if you're taking notes, this is the first first experience living in a far country that it gives us of a life of sin. And the first thing is this, and this is is real. I'm going to be real with you, and that is that the pleasures of sin are real. Let me say that again. The pleasures of sin are real. 
If the pleasures of sin weren't real, why would we be tempted to sin? Why is it that so desperately sometimes you have that desire to do something that you ought not to do? Because you know that there's some good feeling that is going to come from it. Let's go to verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for the distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He used all his money in wild living. I wonder what are some of the things that he used his money on. Verse 30, I'm going to have you go there, but in verse 30, the older son says something about what he wasted his money on. In verse 30, we hear uh, that his reckless life involved, uh, the, 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 the bro older brother says, when he says, why are you taking this guy back? Don't you know that he wasted all his money on prostitutes? I don't know where the older brother got that from. The story doesn't tell us every other single detail in which he spent his money on. But one thing that we can uh, uh, assume that while he wasted all his money in reckless living, this brother, the prodigal son, was having a good time. Let's be real. He's having a good time. He wasted his daddy's money, but, man, he had a ball doing it. And that's an important lesson that, I, that, that we need to understand, and, and that is that the pleasures of sin are real. People don't want to have anything to do with the Heavenly Father because people want everything to do with the pleasures that come from sin. It's like our body, our spirit wants to honor God, but the flesh wants to do whatever feels good. That's a constant battle that even the Apostle Paul talks about. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You see, some of us don't want to deal with our sin because you know what? Quite frankly, we love our sin. We don't want to deal with something that we know should not be a part of our lives because the reality is we love the way that feels. In trying to reach the prodigals of this world, as Christ followers, we got to be careful as well not to glorify the life of sin or even to participate in it. The reality is that our job is to call prodigals from the far country, not to make the pig pen look more attractive. But at the other extreme, just because someone has drifted away from God, we can't assume that people that are in that far country are, are miserable and hurting or in trouble, because what did I just say? The fact is that the pleasures of sin are real. For some people, being lost can be fun. The pleasures of sin are real. The far country can be enjoyable, but let me say another thing about sin, and that is that it, it's, you have fun. It, there, there's pleasure in sin, but that pleasure only lasts for a little while. You may, you may have been tempted to do something that maybe you shouldn't be done, have done, and you do it, and you're feeling the, uh, you know, the emotions and, and all the chemicals are being released in your body for whatever it is that you're doing, and then all of a sudden, once that high is done, all of a sudden, once, once, once you finish doing whatever it is that you shouldn't have been doing that got you all high and excited, all of a sudden, you start feeling some remorse. You start feeling dry. Why? Because that pleasure, the pleasure of sin lasts only for a while. 
the consuming passion of the prodigal son is to consume all the worldly pleasures that the far country has to offer. But now, I know that that can be hard to to look at and to realize, but the reality is those pleasures are real, the pleasures of sin are real, but the pleasures of sin don't last. You can have big fun in the world, but it won't last. And the reality is that some of you guys are sitting here today, some of you are watching us online, and you know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. Some of you maybe became prodigals at one point, drifted away, went to that far country, did whatever satisfied you without knowing that anyone was going to hold you accountable. But once that little season was up, you were dry, you were empty. Luke 14, 15, let's continue with the story. It says, after he had spent everything, say spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. What we see is that he had big fun until he spent everything. Isn't 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 that ironic? There's a famine in the country once he spent everything. Once he emptied his accounts, once he maxed out all of his credit cards, then the friends that he had hooked up, now when he needed to be hooked up, hooked up were nowhere to be found. A severe recession hits this country, and the prodigal son, he finds himself now in desperate need of help. The party was over. This dilemma that confronts the life of sin is that being lost can be fun, but the fun of sin will not last. You're taking notes. You can write that down. Being lost can be fun, but the fun of sin will not last. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 25, we see someone who knew this, and his name was Moses. Verse 24 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, listen to this, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting, everyone say fleeting, fleeting pleasures of sin. The fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, because sin can be pleasurable. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be tempted. But the pleasures of sin are fleeting. The the pleasures of sin are passing The pleasures of sin are short-lived. Can I tell you something? Sin never delivers on its promises. Sin never delivers on its promises, and they are never worth what they cost. Sin has cost people a lot of things. The discovery, though, that changes the life of sin is what we start to see next in this story. You see, because in the far country, the prodigal son learns something about life. In the far country, the prodigal son learns something about himself. In the far country, the prodigal son learns something even about his father. Because sometimes we got to go through it to learn lessons. But his father was not the one who taught him the lesson. Let me, let, let me tell you about how he learned the most important lessons of life. You know what? Life caught up with him. While he was partying, it was good. He wasn't thinking about nothing. 
oh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to go that. I don't got to worry about anything about, about God or whatever. I can just do me, and it'll be fine. But eventually, sin never deliver, delivers in its promises. Separation from God never delivers from its, in its, from its promises. Eventually, life starts to hit us. Life starts to catch up. We separate ourselves from God, but then issues start occurring in our lives. Issues start occurring in our marriages, start occurring with our children, and we're quickly reminded of how good it was to be in the home of our Father. Consider what he learned and consider where he learned it. I'm going to show you right now in Luke chapter 15, verse 14 through 17, the story continues. After he had spent everything, There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Those that were listening to the story that Jesus was telling at that moment were probably like, because pigs were considered to be unclean for the Jews. This was something that you had no part of doing, was messing with with, with the pigs. They were considered to be an unclean animal. But yet this guy says, yeah, I'll hire you, but go work with the pigs. Verse 16, he longed, listen to this, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. He's in such a bad state that now he's even saying, man, that pig slop looks really, really good. looks like a little sancocho. But no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came, this is my favorite part of this whole story. When he came to his senses. Remember I talked to you, if you've got a prodigal in your life, listen, you can't do nothing about it but pray for them. They got to go through that far country and, and you, they almost have to get to the point where they've exhausted everything and now they are in so much need that, that, that even what was not pleasurable at one moment looks pleasurable for them. You ha- they have to get to the point where they come to their senses. I can tell you to do something all day long, but until you realize this is what I got to do, you're not going to do it. At least not wholeheartedly. When he came to his senses, he said in verse 17, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare And here I am starving to death. He thought he knew what was good for him. He had it made in his father's home. Everything was was, was there for him. And then at the right time, maybe with more maturity, he would get what what was given to him in his inheritance. But he wanted to live it up, party it up. And now he's realized, I've got nothing, and even this slop looks good to me. Even the people that are servants in my father's house are eating better than You know how we always say the grass looks greener on the other side until you get to that other side and you realize, man, what I thought this was, it's not. What I thought this life was because this is what I saw on social media, it's not. What I thought that if I chased and I, li- and I worked nonstop, nine to five every single day, I put in all the overtime, I did what I did, I sacrificed my family, I sacrificed church just so that I can fill up my bank account to do what I want, to get what I want, then you're there and you realize not what I thought it was. He went to the big city with lots of money, and his daddy was nowhere around. But it was when he spent everything that he had that he began to recognize how good 
his father had been all of that. See, his father would have never made him go on ahead and work with the pigs, eat the pigs' food. He would have been treated well. The hired servants in his daddy's house were well taken care of, but here he was feeding these pigs in this far country. So desperate that he almost started fighting the pigs because he wanted to eat their food. But then he came to his senses, the Bible says. He made his mind up. He says, listen, I can't keep living like this. And that's where a lot of us maybe have gotten to, which is why we're here today. Because maybe we were living our own lifestyle. Maybe we had gone away because we, wanted, we didn't want to be under the supervision of God no more, under the supervision of my pastor, under the supervision of other people in the church that held me accountable. I want to go do my own life. But then... We realize, man, I can't keep living like this. I need to go home. I need to go to my daddy's house. Let me tell you something. Don't ever put anything or anyone ahead of God. I'll take it a step further. Don't ever put your children above God. Sounds weird, but it happens. I got to do all this for my kids. I got to do this. I got to do that. Take them here. Take them there. And we're, we're spending more time doing what they have to do and trying to get them all set up that we're, we're, we're negating the time that we need to be given to God. Don't do that. Don't put your children above God. You want to know why? Because at some point, you're going to need God to deal with your children. Don't put your job ahead of God. Because when you get laid off one day or fired for no good reason, you're going to be praying and you're going to need God to help you. Don't put your health above God because at one point you might get a bad report from your doctor and guess whose help you're going to be crying out for. Up or down, church, you need God. Win or lose, church, you need God. Poor or rich, you need God. Sick or well, you need God. Listen to this. You don't just need the blessings of God. Why do I say that? Because the son had the blessings of his father. The blessings will turn on you sometimes if you misuse them. If you don't worship the one from whom the blessings came from, then they'll turn on you. You will think, well, I got the blessing, I got what I want, and now I'm running away from God. And all of a sudden, God says, wait a minute, that blessing was only activated as long as you were plugged into me. Psalms 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. What it's saying is the builder seeks accomplishment. The watchman sustains accomplishment, but without God, the house is going to come crashing down. You better believe it. In every season, in every situation, not just when things are bad, not just when you need help, in every situation, when things are good, when things are going great, when financially you're good, when the marriage is good, when your children are good, when everything is good, you still need God. And you need to be seeking him just the same way. The way those fervent prayers of yours are when your children are lost in the world and you're praying that God will bring them that back is the same way you need to be praying when God is bringing them back. Let me warn you 
about the classroom where sin teaches. The story continues in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. The lesson that the son learned when he finally comes to his senses, he didn't learn that lesson in his father's house. He didn't learn the lesson in the far country. You want to know where he learned that lesson? He learned that lesson in the pig pen. And I'm here to tell you, church, that if you mess around with sin, you may come to a place where you lose what's most important to you in order to show you how much you need God. You see, some of us, we think, well, this sin that I'm going to do, you know what? Eventually, maybe God, God will forgive me for it. Yeah, he will. But when you cheated on your wife and had an, a, a, another affair, the consequences of that sin may be that she might not take you back. When you went on ahead and you went and said, God will forgive me if I just try this little drug. I just, need to get, I just need to get my mind off of all the stress. You know what? Yeah, God will probably forgive you, but now the consequences of that sin is maybe you're going to go through years and years of addiction and rehab just to try to get that cleared up. What I'm trying to say is there's consequences to sin. God forgives. Yes, he does. And thank God that we have a gracious, loving God. But we eventually pay in one way or another for the sins in which we commit. The sad fact is that some people have to lose it all before they look up to God. Some of you, may that may be your story or maybe stories of other people that you know. Maybe, maybe I'm talking to you or if you're watching us online, maybe you are in that far country. Maybe you are in this life of sin. Maybe you've departed from the comfort of God. And I'm here to tell, to tell you this. If you haven't lost it all yet, please wake up now before you do. J.C. Riley said this. You may have heard this quote. He said, hell is truth known too late. Don't wait for life to catch up with you before you trust and obey the Lord. Don't wait for it to get that bad. If you're listening to this message, listen and wake up. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day. If you're listening to this message right now and you're in that far country, today's the day to come to your senses, to turn around and run back to your father's house. The story continues in Luke 15, verse 18. It says, I will set out. This was now the prodigal son. He's, he's, he's come to his senses and now he's developed this game plan. And he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see that? There's repentance. And that repentance is leading him to run back. But he's not saying, I'm coming back and give me everything that I had before I left. He says, I'm coming back. I've sinned against God. I have sinned. He sins against God for asking for what he asked for, but really what he was doing in that, in that pagan country. 
and now he's asking for the forgiveness for, 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 to his father for kind of wishing you were dead so, so you could have gave me what I need, wanted. And he says, but listen, because I've sinned against you, take me back and just place me as one of your servants because I am not worthy to have the original place that I had. This is amazing. This is like a wow moment when you're reading this. Because the last time he saw his daddy, he was asking, hey, dad, give me my money. The next time that he's going to see his dad, he plans to beg for a job. And that's what happens when life catches up to us. That's what happens when life catches up to us. It strips us of our pride. It didn't matter the terms. He just needed to go home. And listen, church, you can't fix life by working harder in the pig pen. You're just going to stay in the pig pen. The only redemption for the life of sin is to come home to God. Is to come home to God. Listen, I'm here to tell you that if you've drifted away, you can still come home to God as long as there is breath in your lungs. As a matter of fact, you must come home to God. It's the only way. So if that's you, my question to you is, will you come back to God today? Or are you going to wait till you lose a little more? Or are you going to wait till you just make that one decision that's going to cost you everything? Come home today. You're sitting here in this mess and you wish that things were how they used to be with the Lord. Well, listen, come home to God. You see, the father in this story, he never left his post. He never did the leaving. This is important to, 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 to comprehend. The father never did the leaving. Do you know who did the leaving? The prodigal son. And I want you to listen up to this really closely, church. Listen up to this. When you feel distant from God, when you feel distant from God, I don't care what the circumstances are. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I don't care what the circumstances are. It's always because you did the leaving. Whenever you feel distant from God, no matter the circumstances, the reason why you feel distant is because you have done, did the leaving, because God hasn't moved. God hasn't gone anywhere. You feel distant because little by little, you've been taking steps away. Oh, I'm going to blame this. I'm going to blame the church. I'm going to blame these relationships. What have you done to make sure that you have not drifted away? God is where he is. God can always be found. We're the ones that like to do the wandering. The story continues. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still, listen to this, while he was still a long way off, still far away, his father saw him. And was filled with what? Compassion. Remember the story that I told you guys? When Jesus was trying to get away because his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded and he just needed some time away. And they get to where they need to get to and there's thousands of people waiting there for him. And the Bible says, you know, Jesus had compassion for them. So he stays with them and starts to teach them and gives them, shows them how it is that they can enter the kingdom of God. The father could have said no. The father could have ran away. The father could have made a big sign. Ha ha, you fool. I knew you'd come back, but you're out of here. No, the father had compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Everything that he had practiced and while he was in the pig pen, he's finally saying it to his father. In verse 22, listen to this. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Compassion. Compassion of the Father. If you're afraid to come back to God because you are afraid of how he's going to feel, how he's going to react, how others in the church are going to react, listen, don't mind that no attention because your Father is filled of, of compassion. The church ought to be filled with compassion. If someone doesn't show you compassion, you come see me and we'll talk to them about compassion. When we see somebody come through the door that we haven't seen in a while, Listen, stop what you're doing and go greet them. Run to them. Don't let someone that you haven't seen in a while walk out the church and you didn't even get to say hi to them, waiting for them to come say hi to you. Did the father wait? The father ran to them. We ought to do the same. And so now we find the punchline of the, 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 uh, of the religious when they had acts. Is if Jesus really knows God, then why is he parting with these sinful people? Remember when, you know, kind of in the beginning when they said that? Well, now by giving this story, what he's really telling them, what he's hoping they comprehend is Jesus is, pre is, is pretty much saying, well, you Pharisees and, Jew, uh, and leaders uh, or um, teachers of the law, if you really know God, then why haven't you joined the party? Because what he's saying is this party's for everyone who comes to God. Rather, you think you've got it all together or not. If you come to God, come to the party. The heart of God celebrates anytime one prodigal comes back from a far country. And so if you come home, you'll discover that when the prodigal came home, everything, listen to this, when the prodigal came home, everything that he was looking for in the far country was already available in his father's house. He wanted fancy clothes. What did the father say? Put on the best robe on my son. He wanted the shoes that signified he was somebody, what did the father say? Put some sandals on my son's feet. He wanted bling, what did the father say? Put a ring on his finger. He wanted a party, he wanted to celebrate, and what did the father say? Throw some steaks on the grill because my lost and wayward son has come home tonight and we're going to celebrate. Only God, church, listen to this. Listen, 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 listen. The deceiver will tell you something else. Satan will advertise this and make it look good. But, the, but only God truly has what your soul needs. Only God has what your spirit craves. Only God has what your heart longs for, what it is that your strength pursues. Only God has all those things. We're tempted to go somewhere else for them because he makes it look so good. Satan look, makes it look so good. But when we get there, we realize it was like cheese in a mousetrap. God gives you what you need. God gets you, gives you what you desire. But it's not a trap. It's an invitation to a party that's going to last for all of eternity. John chapter 10, verse 10, and we're going to be closing. 
because the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come for, for what? That they may have life and what? Have it to the full. Jesus wants to give it to you completely, not just from the you know, outer side of it. You don't want to eat a cake, and when you cut into the cake, you have you ever seen that? Uh, it was the episode, I don't know if it was I Love Lucy. Oh, no, no, uh, uh, a crit. What, what movie was it? They're going to kill me now. Where they take a, oh, National Lampoon's, maybe it's not the best movie. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where the lady bakes that, 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 that turkey, and they're about to eat it, and they, they, she goes out ahead, and, and, and uh, the, the main character cuts into the turkey, and <laughs> it was just air. Nothing good there. It looked good from the outside, but it was nothing inside. That's sin. That's sin. It leaves you feeling empty. But God says, cut into this turkey, cut into this lechon, cut into whatever it is that you like, and you're going to have it all, and you're going to have leftovers and be satisfied. In closing, I want to share this story of a lady named Maria. Maria Maria's husband had died, and not long after, uh, she had gave birth to her daughter, which she had named Christina. Now, she had left to carry she was left to carry the burden of caring for the family alone. She expected that when Christina came of age that she would help maybe carry the load, you know, that, that, that her father left. But when she came of age, Christina, like many of our children sometimes, was fixed on the big city life. You see, Maria knew that her daughter, she knew her and she knew that she wanted to be in that big city. But Maria knew what it would take for her daughter to survive. She knew how hard it was going to be. She knew what she was going to encounter in that city. So she contently warned her daughter, Christina, Christina, please stay home. Don't leave. But one day Maria woke up to find Christina gone with all of her belongings. Maria immediately, though, she was determined to go to the big city and to find her daughter. She didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have a lot of connections. She, quite frankly, didn't even know where to look. But before she left back home, she had an idea. She saw a photo booth, and she went to that photo booth, and she took as many as pictures of herself that she could afford. Some of you are saying, why would, why would she do that? And she printed out all those pictures. She went to everywhere in the city that she can find. She went to all the bars. She went to all the clubs. She went to all of the hotels. She asked for permission, and she hung a picture of herself until she ran out of pictures and money in all of those locations. And she went home. She went home with a broken heart. Sometime later, her daughter Christina was leaving a hotel after a long night. Life had caught up with Christina. And now she would rather sleep in the cot of her mother's house than the scores of beds that she had been in through all the hotels of the big city. And so as Christina went on ahead and exited the hotel that she was staying at that night, she looked up and she saw a picture of her mother. She took that picture down off the wall, and as she took it down off the wall, she felt something in the back of it only to find that in the back of it, it was her mother's handwriting on a note that simply said, Christina. 
wherever you are, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. I love you. Come home. And Christina did. And she was reunited once again with her mom. And I want you to listen to this. Watching us online, listen to this. When we were lost, when we were like shepherds or sheep without a shepherd, you know, God took a picture of himself. He took a picture of himself and he named it Jesus. And he hung it on one of the most universally visible places. He hung that picture of himself on a cross. And if you're lost, all you got to do, church, brothers, sisters, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're lost, all you got to do is look to the cross. Look to it. Look to the cross and look to the blood that was shed for your sins. And hear the heart of God tell you, I'm not God, but listen to my words as if they were the words of God telling you today. Wherever you are, Wherever you've done, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. Come home, my son. Come home, my daughter. I love you. Come home. I'm going to ask that you all rise to your feet. Just close your eyes right where you're at. I don't know who get much into the older son's story, or I don't know who you are in this picture, if you're that person super compassionate, loving, and willing to forgive, I don't know if you're the prodigal that has gone away, you are, I need, I want to talk to you, because the reality is, is that the decisions that you make matter, the decisions that you make are not only affecting you, they're affecting those that love you, the decisions that you make are affecting your life with Jesus Christ, your eternity, your salvation. And so if you're here and you've been wandering away, would, would you come home today? Would you come to the Father's house today? If you're watching us online. Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you say, I've had enough? I've had enough of living the way I am living. I've had enough of chasing things only to find that in the inside they are empty and they make me feel empty. I have had enough of being my own God. I've had enough of being my own pilot. Come to Jesus. Come home. Don't feel like people are going to look at you because, oh, look, now that things are tough, you come home. No, absolutely not. Do not believe that lie from because God is ready to embrace you. Your church family is ready to embrace you with open arms to tell you, welcome home. So that's you today. If you're one of those wanderers, if you wandered away, listen, it's happened. It happens. Circumstances of life happen. We get disconnected. The reality is, though, that the separation from God is sin. You may be feeling like, well, I'm not living a sinful life but you're separated from God. And God wants to make that connection again. If that's you right where you're at, I want you to go on ahead and begin to speak to the Lord. Everyone should be speaking. I'm going to tell you why. 
If that's you, you need to speak to God and let God know, God, I'm in this far country. I want to be, I want to come home. But there's some of us here that are home. We are with the Lord, but we have members of our family, friends, neighbors, whoever it is that are in that far country still. They still haven't come to their senses. We ought to be praying for them, interceding for them, standing in the gap for them until they come to their senses. So let us pray right now, each and every one of us here today. Father, Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, there are people here today that are praying for themselves because they they've drifted away and they're coming back home. Lord, embrace them. Lord, there are people here that are praying for loved ones that are still in that far country. Lord, would you hear their prayers? And Lord, those people that they are praying for, Lord, would you begin to tug on their heart? Lord, would you allow certain circumstances to happen that are going to cause them to wake up? Lord, at the end of it all, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified. That you would be magnified. Lord, we pray for tons and tons of stories, of testimonies that we would be able to share one day. Father, because you are good. Lord, there is peace in you that we can't find in this world. The love that you give, no one else can match. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you, God. Pray that you would be glorified here today in our lives. If any of you have prayed that prayer, you were far off and you've come back home, if you've done it online, if you've done it here, man, at the end of the service, find me. Find me. If you're online, put a comment on there. I always go back and read them. I'll connect with you because I want to get you connected and I want to I help you in your new journey home and make sure that you're set up so that now you can repeat that and start praying for someone else that's away. I pray for this blessing right now as we get ready to dismiss. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would watch your people as we leave today, that you would protect them. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them traveling mercy. Lord, I pray right now, Father God, Lord, that that you would allow us to always remember no matter where we go, Lord, that you have called us to be the salt of this earth, Lord. You've called us to be the light of this world. You've called us, Father God, not to blend in with it, God, but you've called us to stand out, to be a reflection of you, Lord, so that others can find the light. Lord, I pray this blessing right now as we get ready to dismiss. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you peace in Jesus' holy, mighty name. And the church of God says, amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. Don't forget to take some invites for Easter Sunday. And make sure that you are here. And bring a friend on Friday for Good Friday, 7.30 p.m. Have a great week.